InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Food, festivities, and face filling, they all seem to go together. If you'd like to avoid another New Year's crash diet and control your holiday eating, InfoTrack's Taryn McCall has an interview you'll want to hear. Taryn? Thanks, Chris. Brian Wansick is director of Cornell University's Food and Brand Lab and is the author of Mindless Eating, Why We Eat More Than We Think. He joins us today on InfoTrack. Welcome, Dr. Wansick. Oh, it's great to be with you. Our culture promotes a live-to-eat rather than eat-to-live outlook, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, particularly during these diet danger months, they start at Halloween and they end when the Super Bowl ends. And it's tough to say no because so much of our culture equates food with love and caring. Yeah, well, and we essentially uh, engineer our life to have food that's really tasty, to have it convenient, to have it really accessible, too. Now, you feel that people can keep their weight in check by just a few simple tweaks to their behavior patterns rather than embarking on a diet. What's your theory? Well, most people, in fact, 80% of all people who gain weight over a year end up gaining less than two and a half pounds. And two and a half pounds, I mean, that's only an extra 25 calories a day. I mean, 25 calories a day translates into like five M&Ms or like eight Tic Tacs. So there's very little extra food we eat on average in a given day that leads to weight gain. It's pretty easy to turn this around, too, if we end up just cutting out 100 or 200 calories out of our each day by making a small, simple change or two. We end up, over the course of a year, weighing 10 pounds or 20 pounds less. And just from not really realizing what we're putting in our mouths when we're not thinking. Yeah, I mean, the, the last thing you want to do when you lose weight is to make it a full-time job and just spend the whole time sort of denying yourself food and thinking about it all the time. Well, then you focus pay- on deprivation. Yeah, that's right. I mean, most diets are based on deprivation. And that's a terrible way to go through life. It's, uh, it becomes a full-time job, and you know, you dislike everything and everybody. Talk about some of the experiments you conducted which proved your theory of mindless eating. Well, most people believe they overeat because they're really hungry or because the food's like really, really good. We wanted to set up a study where we gave people who were full food that tasted bad and see if just the things around them would get them to overeat. So we took a bunch of people, just this is outside of Chicago, Illinois, who had just finished lunch and came in to see a movie. We gave them these huge buckets of popcorn, either a huge bucket or a medium-sized bucket, but it was five-day-old stale popcorn. It was like these little styrofoam chunks almost. <laughs> and what ended up happening was that they sat down and watched the movie, and when they finished, they ended up eating 35% more popcorn if they were given a huge, large bucket. And the thing was, they weren't hungry. The food wasn't good. It's just that everything in that theater tells you to eat. The people next to you tell you to eat as they're chewing away. The screen tells you to eat as you're watching it, and the bigger size bucket tells you that it's appropriate and reasonable to eat a huge amount, and we dutifully do so. And you wrote they were actually complaining about the freshness <laughs> of the popcorn yet continued to eat. No, oh, it's terrible. You could see them take a couple of kernels and you know chew on it and kind of wince, set it down, and about four minutes later, pick the bucket up again, have a few <laughs> more kernels, and it continue for an hour and a half. As part of our upbringing, too, right? Because American kids are encouraged to clean their plates because there were children starving in China or Africa or fill-in-the-blank. But that's yeah. not a healthy way to eat. So. No, but it's not just that, too. It's just that we usually enjoy eating. We usually enjoy talking with people or watching TV or whatever else we're doing. And so when we fill our plate up, we put our best estimate of what we are going to eat under our plate, and we don't then take a bite and say, am I full yet? No, no, we just enjoy the conversation and wait till we get to the end of the plate and then say, 
do I want more? I mean, one of the key things that people can do, since the size of a plate cues you to serve yourself more, is just use a smaller plate. And we find that people who use slightly smaller plates end up serving themselves about 30% less when they dish out their food. My friend used to work in a restaurant, and every day before the doors opened, the chef would walk through the dining room with a hot pan of sautéing garlic, the theory being that the smell of the garlic would stimulate appetites and cause the diners to order and eat more. So even if we know about these hidden persuaders, can we override that physiological stimulus? I mean, it's really, really tough to do that. The last person we want to rely on to fight against these physiological visual cues is ourself. It's much, much easier simply to change our environment, to kind of slightly tweak the things in our house or the things in our office so that instead of leading us to eat more and enjoy food less, they instead lead us to eat a little bit less and enjoy food more. The thing about names is that we taste what we expect we're going to taste. And if somebody gives them a very sort of descriptive, tasty name, like a succulent Italian seafood filet, we're going to expect it to taste better than if somebody just says it's a seafood filet or if somebody just says it's a dried old fish stick. But what we end up finding is that even if all three of the same thing, people are going to like the more descriptively named item a lot better. They're going to rate the taste is better. They're going to rate it as being more expensive. And therefore eat more of it. And they're going to eat more of it. So how about some real-life suggestions? This time of year, you walk into any office and you find just on every desk, bowls of candy or popcorn, <laughs> you know, just free for the taking. What well, do you do? One thing you can do is simply move the candy just six feet away. We did a study with office workers that showed that they ended up eating less than half as much candy if you simply move the candy dish six feet away. Because they said, you know, that two steps I'd have to take gives me pause to say, hey, do I really want another piece of candy? And half the time they'd say no. Another thing you can end up doing is if you want to keep that social magnet there, that candy dish, you can keep it on your desk, but just fill it with things you don't like. If you are a big chocolate lover, fill it with the uh, you know, sweet tarts or the sour candies that you're not really that wild about. That way you can still be the nice host with the most without tempting yourself. We say the best diet is the diet you don't know you're on. Simply by knowing a few of the things that lead us to overeat and reversing those, you can painlessly and even mindlessly lose weight, eat 100 or 200 calories less every day rather than 100 or 200 calories more each day. Is there a way to do that with foods you like that may or may not be that good for you? You know, we even find with a lot of the comfort foods, the foods that people really like and almost feel guilty about eating, that simply having a couple bites of those is enough to satisfy most people's need to eat them. And so instead of depriving themselves of these, eat a little bit less, we find it gives them almost as much satisfaction. It's interesting why men and women have different comfort foods. I mean, if you ask men what their comfort foods are, they tend to say these really meal-related comfort foods like you know, steak and pasta and soup and things like this. Whereas women say their favorite comfort foods are more like convenient foods like chocolates, the candy, pies, cakes, ice cream, things like this. And what about holiday parties with tables groaning with all sorts of fattening things? <laughs> well, it partly depends on whether it's a buffet or whether it's a sit-down meal. For a, a sit-down meal, one of the things you can do is you can use the half-plate rule. Most of us don't really know what we're supposed to eat. We just dish out whatever looks good. But if you use a half-plate rule, what you do is you say, hey, on half my plate, I can put anything I want, but the other half of my plate has to be vegetables or salad or fruit. If you do that, you're at least going to be filling up in this lower-density food and that's going to make you uh, eat a whole lot less overall. 
In addition, what you can do is if you're eating a sit-down dinner, if you're a host, you can actually serve from the sideboard or serve from the kitchen or the stove because what we find is that if you simply move the dishes and don't serve family style, if people have to get up and take two steps to get seconds or thirds, they might get seconds, but they're not going to be getting thirds and fourths, and it cuts down how much people eat by about 30%. And for those hosts that are on a budget and want to, oh, not exactly encourage their guests to eat them out of house and home, you suggest maybe serving a North Dakota wine? <laughs> that is a study we did in a restaurant where we, when people came in, we gave them a complimentary glass of wine that we told that we had changed the label. We change it to a label that says it's either from California or we change it to a label that says it's from North Dakota. And people drinking the wine that they believe is from California thought it would taste good. And not only that, but they thought the entire meal tasted good and they ate more of their meal and they ended up eating 10 minutes longer. People who thought they were drinking North Dakota wine expected it to be terrible and they ended up eating less of their food. They didn't rate it as tasting very good and they ended up blowing out of there in 10 minutes because it wasn't a very magical evening for them. Tell us your website address, doctor. Yeah, it's called mindlesseating.org. And what we have there is uh, you can take the Mindless Eating Challenge, which means you answer a few questions and uh, come up with three ideas out of the book that you're going to try for a month. And then every month when you report back, we give you suggestions for how you might want to adjust that for the next month. And we uh, all but guarantee you in a year you can lose up to 20 pounds pretty mindlessly without feeling deprived at all. The book is called Mindless Eating, Why We Eat More Than We Think by Dr. Brian Wansick. Thank you so much for being with us today on InfoTrack. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm Taryn McCall for InfoTrack. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.